You see, this whole series is kind of based on this idea that for many of us, we have these things deep within us, these emotional forces within our heart that if we don't get control of, if we don't identify and then start to work towards resolving and transforming, what we experience is this version again and again and again all throughout our lives. These emotional outbursts, these emotional reactions, these patterns of behavior that seem to indicate that there's something going on deeper than in the surface than we're admitting or that other people are aware of. And it wrecks havoc, most importantly, in our relationships. And so that's what we're talking about the next several weeks because we've all had a version of this story where there was something in your heart that got loose in your life. And so we're going to talk about that in this series, Troubled Hearts. Now, similar to our relationships, the leading cause of death in, in our society is heart disease. I think that's probably true for our relationships as well. There are things that happen in our life, in our emotions, these uncontrollable forces like anger or greed or jealousy or guilt or pride, these things that as they begin to grow and to build force, it's like when you drop like Mentos or in the, the Coca-Cola bottles, you know that? You drop them in and then you screw the, the cap on. At some point, that bottle's going to erupt. This is what happens in our life. Now, there's a medical procedure that helps people identify kind of the, the health and the status of their heart. It's called an arteriogram. And what they do is they like release this dye into your veins. And as the dye makes its way through your veins, what ends up happening is they take an x-ray of this dye within your veins and, it, and arteries. And it identifies where there might be kind of narrowing of the arteries or blockages of the arteries. And clearly my training is in theology. And so if you're a doctor this morning, you're like, that's not actually what happened. Just go with me for, for the sake of this illustration. Send me the email later. But what they can do is they'll take x-rays and it looks like this. And so you get these pictures of like the state and the health of the heart. Because we all have read stories or we all know people in our own life who seem to live a very active, a very healthy, a very vibrant life. And then all of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, something happened. Whether it was kind of they were hospitalized or even worse, death, these untimely deaths because there was something, there was some trouble within their heart. There was something going on under the surface that nobody could see and nobody could detect, and it wasn't easily identified by kind of the common symptoms or kind of the common indicators based on behavior and lifestyle and those sort of things. Now, what's true about the human heart from a medical perspective is true about the human heart from a spiritual perspective. We are really good at managing all of our behaviors, about managing this presentation that we present to the world. And so what we need is something different other than kind of the observation or the analysis of how we choose to live our life to better indicate the actual state of our heart. So in another sense, this series is not just asking the question, where did that come from? But it's also functioning in a way as an arteriogram, trying to identify like, okay, are there blockages? Are there arteries in our spiritual heart that are clogged or worse, even closed that are eventually going to lead to this place where we have some outburst or some kind of response or reaction that ends up significantly damaging our relationships. Now, 
What's changed over time, though, is kind of our understanding about what the heart is and how it functions in our life. Now, we approach it from a very scientific medical perspective. We understand that it's an organ, and the heart is kind of focused on pumping blood throughout the body. It's kind of this, kind of the center hub of the way, you know, it's with our arteries and veins, the way that blood moves through our body, kind of providing all of the, you know, the nutrients and all of the things that organs need to function. Now, you can tell by that explanation, I have very little training in, in medicine and the human anatomy, but what we know from a medical perspective and a physiological perspective is the heart's the hub. But if you go back in time, they didn't have that same understanding about how the heart functioned. They understood that it was a source of life, but they understood it in a very different capacity. They understood the heart as a source of life uh, from a much uh, different understanding. In fact, in Proverbs, thousands of years ago, this describes the human heart this way. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, thousands of years ago, in kind of the first century Palestinian culture, the heart was like the executive center of the body, or of the human, or of the person. It was responsible for processing, for like thinking, for making decisions. It was responsible for emotions. It was responsible for behavior. It was kind of the way that we think of the mind now was kind of the way that they thought of the heart then. All of a person, the way that they interacted with the world, the way that they navigated the world, the way that they kind of understood what to do and what not to do, all of that happened through the heart. And so you can see when they're writing about the heart, it's like if this is the control center of the human life, then you have, to, you have to protect it. You have to guard it. Everything flows through it. It was kind of this idea that all of life begins and ends with the heart. Now, in that way, it's similar to our understanding kind of physiologically with the human heart. But it was from on a deeper level. And we kind of know this in our own life. There's still carryover from this understanding of how the heart functions. We all have people who we would identify as cold-hearted or hard of heart, or we've said things like, my heart is overflowing in this moment, or my heart's about to burst. We talk about this in the way that we interact with people and the way that they interact with the world. Our experiences with them, at times, we can connect to the state and the condition of their heart. But what's different is in the ways that we monitor behavior. You see, the way that we kind of manage our life and manage the ways that we act and live in the world is instead of investigating the heart and recognizing that our actions flow out of the heart, that all life comes from the heart, we just look at kind of the external symptoms, the external signs of what's going on in the person's life. So take it back to the example when I was in third grade and I shoved the kid down. There wasn't a conversation about what's going on inside of me. There wasn't a conversation about tell me what you're feeling or what was going on or talk to me about how that hurt or why you chose to act that way. It was about don't do that action again. You'd have whole kind of uh, behavior management systems that existed when you're little, whether you're a parent, you did this, or you experienced this in school, of how to monitor and how to adjust and modify our behavior. It was about making sure that the actions were right, not the source of the actions were right. You see the difference in that. I would get in trouble if I talked out of turn. I didn't have a conversation with the teacher or with parents about respect or why you feel the need to say something in the middle of class and disrupt everybody. Now, those are really simple examples, but it also manifests in bigger ways kind of in our adult relationships 
as well. Like, you've had that conversation where you've asked them to change and they don't change. And finally, you get to the point after having thousands of conversations about the change that you're wanting to see in their behavior, when you come to the conclusion that what? They're never going to change. Because you tried to modify the behavior. You tried to get them to stop doing the thing that they were doing. And instead, the conversation has to happen on a deeper level. You also have these experiences where somebody shows up and maybe you interacted with them in one way in one season and then in another season they seem totally different. And you're like, wow, did you see so-and-so or have you talked to so-and-so lately? They're like a totally different person. They had a change of heart. We understand this in some ways, but we get so consumed with trying to manage the actions and trying to manage the behaviors that we forget to go to the source. So that's what we're going to try to do in this series, is talk about a couple of key emotional forces that seem to be the most havoc-wreaking in our lives and in our relationships. And we're going to unpack them over the next series of weeks. But today, I just kind of want to reiterate and drill home this idea that it's not about the actions, it's not about the behavior, it's about the source that's behind all of that. And in fact, this idea of trying to manage our behaviors, trying to present a, a, a nice face to create this nice shiny image that people see, it's not new. This has been happening for thousands of years. In fact, there was a whole kind of religious system developed around this idea of focusing on the external actions to try to get to what's happening on the inside. Let me show you. This is something that Jesus wrestles with, with kind of the religious leaders at the time. They were really focused on external behavior, on modifying and managing kind of the actions that people engaged in. But Jesus, understanding how the human body works on an emotional and mental and spiritual level, recognized that it's not just the behaviors that you have to get after. You have to get down into the heart, into the source of where all of this is coming from. And so here is what we're going to look at. It's out of Matthew 15. So here's what happens. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law. These are the people who know the most about what to do and what not to do. They actually did it. They were not just like these pious people in terms of their knowledge, but just in terms of their behavior. We would look at them and go, wow, they're a really good Christian. Just, you know, 2,000 years ago in Jewish. But it's the same concept. It's like, wow, they never make mistakes. They always seem to get it right. But... Because they were so focused on making sure that they were doing everything right, they were also focused on making sure everybody else was doing everything right. And it was always focused on this external behavior. So, this is the situation. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they asked him, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, here's the issue at stake. God gives ten commandments to the Israelites. And then over time... They develop hundreds of other laws to help make sure that people don't break the original Ten Commandments. Now, one of these kind of rules that God gives is about cleanliness and about making sure that they um, are in a pure state when they interact with God in the kind of the religious space in the temple that they're in. Now, one of the ways that try to make sure that they were clean was to have this rule about washing your hands. You were supposed to wash from your fingertips all the way up to your elbows. It was like this precautionary measure to make sure that if you weren't properly vigilant on kind of what you came into contact with, that you would have this rule in place that would help you follow the other rules. Now, kind of in the religious world, this is called building a fence around the law. 
So if this is the law, they set up a perimeter and a barrier around this to make sure that you didn't get into it and actually interact with, in the wrong way, the law. So if the issue was about being clean and people struggled to be clean, let's come up with another rule that people have to follow so they don't have to worry about the original rule, right? You tracking with me? So let's make sure that the new rule is wash from tips of your fingers to your elbow. Okay, I have a version of this in my own life. I have a dog that likes to get up on the counter and take food off the counter. I don't like when my dog does that. So instead of trying to make sure that I'm always watching my dog at all times to make sure she doesn't get up on the counter and to sneak food off the counter, she's not allowed in the kitchen, right? So this is kind of a way that I've tried to build one rule to help make sure she doesn't violate another rule. This is the same idea that's happening in this moment. Now, over time, they started to develop all of these different rules that would keep people from breaking this original rule or these original rules. And so this became known as the tradition of the elders. And over time, the rules, the tradition of the elders became held in equal standing and of equal importance as the original commandments. And so you have this equal weighting applied to both, and now the religious leaders are getting mad at Jesus because his followers aren't following the tradition of the elders. They're not washing their hands properly before they eat, thus risking coming in contact and breaking and violating the original law about being unclean. Everybody with me? Okay. They have this back and forth conversation, and then Jesus eventually responds with this. And he says, you hypocrites, the prophet Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Now this word hypocrites, uh, we use it in today, but back then it meant to be an actor, to pretend, to say one thing and to do another. And so what Jesus was saying is these people were focused on the external presentation of modifying and trying to manage their behaviors. But really, what's most important, the source, their hearts weren't in the proper place. Their hearts weren't aligned with what God wants. They got all of the external actions right, but deep down inside, there was something going on. There was something lurking in the surface. Jesus is saying, you have a troubled heart. There's something down in the core of you that needs addressing. You're focused on all of the external behaviors and you're missing what's most important. And so Jesus calls to the crowd and he says, listen and understand this. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. There are all of these rules in the Jewish culture about what you can and can't eat, these kosher rules, because of the concern and the focus on being clean or being unclean. And what Jesus says is he's clarifying their focus on these fences that they put around the original rules. He's trying to clarify all of this and help them understand how life really works and how they really work. And so he says, listen and understand what goes into somebody's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And so if you think of it on a literal level, it's a little confusing and a little gross. But Jesus unpacks it and he says, no, there's more going on here. Listen, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach, and then out of the body. If you're not tracking, ask somebody after service. But what goes into the mouth, enters the stomach, and then goes out of the body. But the things that come out of a person's mouth, they have a source. There's an origination for where the things that come out of your mouth begin. 
They come from the heart. And it's these things from within the heart that defile people. And it's not just words. Jesus goes on to explain. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Now, there are some some emotions, some emotional forces behind several of these things that Jesus identifies and lists that we're going to unpack in future weeks. Anger, guilt, greed, jealousy, some of these things that are driving these external behaviors. Because again, it's not about addressing the external behaviors. It would kind of be pointless for me next week to get up here and to preach a whole sermon about not murdering. We're all on the same page about that. Everybody kind of agrees. The issue isn't whether or not we agree with the morality of murder. The issue is what happens in our hearts when we get angry and we feel compelled to exact revenge or to harm another person because of what's happening in our heart. And so that's why we're going to be talking about these emotional forces underneath the behavior. But Jesus is saying these things that happen, the ways that we act in the world, the words that we say, the way that we harm the people we love and the way that the people we love harm us, it has a source. And it all comes from a deeper place. It all comes from the heart. But the things that come out of the person's mouth, they come from the heart and they defile them. And so eating with unwashed hands is not the focus. That's not the problem that you're having in your life. It's a heart issue. There's something going on inside of your heart that has to be changed. And I think if I'm, you know, from my perspective as a pastor, I think this is where church and Christianity, oftentimes we err. We are so consumed with behavior modification. We are really good at moralizing. And we are really good at wagging the finger and historically have been really good at wagging the finger about all of the things that you shouldn't do. And so you come and we have kind of this gospel of behavior management, of sin management. Stop doing the things that you're doing. And then you come back next week and you hear another sermon about how you're bad for doing the things that you did and you shouldn't do the things that you did. And then you go home. Maybe you had experiences in that kind of a church or maybe kind of that's kind of the straw man example of Christianity that you've held you know, throughout your adult life. But it's for a good reason. It's human nature to focus on the actions. It's human nature to focus on the behaviors, the words, the things that are coming out of the mouth. But what Jesus points us to is something far more important. Jesus is saying if you, if you want to experience change in your life, if you want to have a higher quality level of relationships, if you want to experience life in a fuller sense, it isn't about modifying your behaviors, but it's about transforming your heart. It's about shifting from a troubled heart to a transformed heart. See, it's easy for us to go through our relationships and to bump into people and come into contact with the people that we love and the people that we're getting to know better and eventually one day we'll love and all of the different categories of our relationships and focus on trying not to do certain things or act in certain ways and then when we bump up against them too hard or we shove them down like I did in third grade, the thought processes that we often have is like, oh, I shouldn't have shoved them. That works until there's another moment where I get angry again and then I... I'm inclined to shove again. If we operate in our relationships as if I have to get better control of my actions and my behaviors, we're never going to address the real sources of where all of those behaviors come from. And eventually, you get to a place where other people get tired of your inability to modify and to control your behaviors. 
And so my guess is we've all experienced relationships that ended or changed because of our inability to modify our behaviors. Or you've changed a relationship because of somebody else's inability to modify or change their behaviors. But imagine what our relationships could look like if instead of focusing on how we have a better management system for our actions and our thoughts and our words, what if we approached God and said, God, help me have a changed heart. Help me transform my heart. Help me address these emotional forces that are going on inside of me. God, why am I so angry? God, why do I feel the need to criticize anytime somebody else has something good happen in their life? God, they got that promotion and I should be happy for them, but I don't feel happy for them. I feel resentful. I feel like I deserve that promotion more than they did. Or God, how come I'm always chasing more? I feel this desire that what I have isn't enough and I'm never satisfied until I can finally get a little bit more, but the problem is the little bit more never comes. And God, I'm chasing after this future place that doesn't exist where I'll finally feel like I have enough. And because I want that future place so much, because greed has overtaken my heart, I'm willing to disregard relationships. I'm willing to prioritize acquiring what it is that I want more than it is the people in my life. What would it look like if we begin to address those things? Now, the the challenge is that's much harder work. It's far more invasive and it's far more uncomfortable but it's the only work that's actually going to lead towards true transformation. This isn't about behavior modification or change, but it's about heart transformation. And I can't think of a better place to begin this journey of heart transformation than through the sacrament of communion. Because communion in it, what we recognize is the activity in the presence of the Holy Spirit through grace, doing something for us that we can't do on our own, by ourselves. You see, the gospel of behavior modification is a gospel of try harder. It's a, it's a message of just have a little bit more self-discipline, focus a little bit more, make better choices, and just white-knuckle it until you can get your arms around it. But we all know that there will always be something that we don't have the ability to manage. The gospel of grace is different. The gospel of grace says that God can help us, that God is there with us, that God is working through the Holy Spirit inside of us to help us transform our hearts. And so the first step in any of this is to allow it to happen, to ask for it, to name that you need it. And so in, in a sense, it's the act of coming forward, of admitting like, yeah, God, I got some stuff going on in my heart that I need your help with. I, there's a little bit of work that I need you to do in me because I, don't, I can't manage these behaviors anymore. I need a deeper transformation. I need a deeper change in my life than just my actions or my words. I need you to, to take some of these emotions that I'm wrestling with. And this is what we find available in the sacrament of communion. It's the gift of God to us a gift that we didn't earn and that we don't deserve, but a gift that works within us to help transform us from the inside out. You see, the gospel of behavior modification is a, is a working from the outside in, but the gospel and the grace of Jesus is a working from the inside out. 
And so let me say a prayer for us that we can begin this journey well together as Allie comes forward to lead us in the sacrament of communion. God, we invite you into this space and into this place. And most importantly, God, we invite you into our hearts. We know that it's easy for us to put up a nice facade, to put on good clothes and to comb our hair and to present a really nice front. But God, deep below the surface, there is a lot that is lurking and there is a lot that is wrecking havoc in our life. And so God, we ask that you shine your light of illumination upon us. Give us the ability and the self-awareness to identify the ways that our hearts need to be transformed more into the example of your son. And God, give us the conviction and the ability to continue to move forward in that process, to identify and to name these things, to take on new disciplines that help us transform our life. God, we love you and we're grateful that we get to do this together as a people. We pray this in your name. Amen.